add all these scripture readings into that that go along and correspond with it, hoping that we kind of cover everything and give everybody a good base. Well, the thing about Advent that's interesting is I had always thought, you know, it's a Christmas thing, whatever. You know, it's like Christmas, Jesus is coming, and it's a Christmas thing. And it kind of is, but it mostly... So, like, maybe I thought it was, like, half and half or two-thirds Christmas and one-third talking about Jesus coming, like the second coming, like our name, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, like we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. That's why I thought, like, that might have been a third of it. It's really, like, that's, according to what I've been studying, like, 90% of it, and the 10% of it is, like, because, you know, he came already, and we can take faith in that. You see what I'm saying? So, so just as we're sitting back now after a week of being around our families and traveling and all this kind of stuff, and everybody's really, really tired, we're going to start talking about the end of the world, which... <laughs> But it's important. And so we're going to have several weeks to get into a lot of stuff. I decided this morning, since the kids are with us, and since they just had, like, you know, I told them this morning that I had notes, and then I got it this morning. I was like, no. So what we're going to do is the title of this is Advent Week 1 Reduced. So I'm thinking of you all here. And I'm trying, kids, listen, I'm going to try to say everything in a way that you understand, okay? I'm not going to try to, like, make this super... You know, so you can understand. But the the, the subject is we, all these scripture readings. I didn't pick out. They kind of came from. There's things called lectionaries. These readings that've been put together by people for a long, long time. Okay, and so I think it's kind of like we're linking arms with Christian people, people who follow Jesus for hundreds of years, thousands of years. I don't know exactly when this tradition started. Some people said the Middle Ages, and kind of reading the same scriptures as they're reading. There's millions of Christian people that read the same scriptures we just read today at their churches, and it's declaring the same things. So that's kind of what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to be talking about mostly in these upcoming weeks. Whatever scriptures we're reading as a group, we're going to talk about them. And so, but they also have themes, and these themes I've also found out are different to every different church, but whatever. So our first week is theme is hope, and it fits right in with this whole thing. Um, and so I first want to just talk about the idea of hope, because hope is kind of a central idea to this Advent season, that hope and promise. Like, and so kids, and everybody really, I mean, has anybody ever made a promise to you and then broken it? The answer is yes. So I want you to think about how did that make you feel, okay? And then did you ever put your hope in something and then have it fail? And also how did that make you feel? That's this time of Advent is designed to focus on those kinds of feelings, which is like really sad, you know, but it's important because what we need to be focusing on and realizing, which is kind of what I was talking about last week about the demon-possessed guy, if Jesus doesn't show up, you're not really doing that great. You see what I'm saying? And you, you, there's not a lot of hope there. Like without Jesus, there is no hope. And you need to realize that and really feel that, not just push it aside, well, thank goodness we have the candle of hope, so we're all good. It's like, no, you need to really focus on what it's like to not have Jesus, okay? And there is no hope there. And so the main point that I want, and you can even see this on your sheet, is that all of our hope is found in Jesus. And he's the only one that won't disappoint. He's the only one that doesn't break his promises. Um, and we need to focus on the idea of hope and promises because we live in this fallen, dark world, okay? And you see a kind of... We're going to be continually battling, all of us, internally, externally, throughout, all the way till this end. The same thing you see in the very beginning with the serpent in the Garden of Eden comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And now he's talking about, like, uh, 
did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's what he says there, because God had said, don't do that, do this, don't do that thing over here. And he's like, well, did he really say that? You know, but he th- this, the enemy does this a lot. And they even see it when Jesus is getting tempted by the devil. He's like, did, did he really say this? Or does this really how these things work? And it's because oftentimes in the dark world that we live in, it doesn't look like it's going to work out, okay? Y'all follow what I'm saying here? So you need to have these times and focuses so that we can, as a group, say, no, it is going to work out. And we'll get to that. So we're responding back to the, did God really say? The answer is, yeah, he did, you know? And so, but we also, it does tie into Christmas, this thing, you know, like it does tie into Christmas. It's Jesus' first coming is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's in all likelihood, I, I kind of, this is not like my deal because like I don't really care about this sort of stuff a lot where people get like, well, 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 actually. But there's some good reason to think that Jesus was born um, more in the kind of September, October range because of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's some people, there's like people have figured that out based on John the Baptist and like his dad and his time he would be serving in the temple. There's like a lot of, you can kind of do some math there. And it, but it kind of makes sense. Remember when Steve and Marianne were teaching us about the feasts and how the one where God's dwelling with us, like it would make sense that Jesus would be born in tabernacle. So I kind of think that's probably when it was, but whatever, we celebrate it on December 25th, it's cool. And so, but the point is that when Jesus came the first time, it was kind of after a long, like they, we have the Old Testament, and they did, and they had all these prophecies about, don't worry, I'm going to come and work it out. And then it kind of stopped. So they had several hundred years there of not a whole lot. I mean, they had a couple things that happened, like this Hanukkah, which I think is starting tomorrow, is like celebrating one of the events. that. So they did have some things where God had done some pretty miraculous things. But generally speaking, it was kind of a dark time. Enough time that could go by where, like, your dad doesn't remember and his dad doesn't remember. And you get what I'm, you know, so you can kind of forget. Like, so you go, like, did God really say this or did we make all this stuff up? You see what I'm saying? And so they were in the same sort of spot we were. But Jesus comes, and this is what you see in this first um, scripture that we read today. I'll reread it, um, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. And you'll see other prophets, because these prophets had prophesied this stuff. And if you remember, even in the Christmas story, when the wise men come and ask Herod, they're like, hey, where is this, where is this king of the Jews going to be born? They know the answer. They're like, yeah, Bethlehem. You know, So it's not like they didn't know this stuff. And so there's lots of prophecies that they had in their minds, but they were still waiting. So a shoot will come out. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, and the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of, uh, hold on, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. So the people had to hold on to the hope that God would come based off stuff like this. And they did. And he did. And so we similarly find ourselves in a very, in a very similar spot, hence this Advent thing that it really describes this whole entire church period of time from the moment Jesus ascends to the moment Jesus returns is an Advent season, okay? This church calendar time frame is just inviting us to reflect on that. Do we have to trust in the hope, I'm coming back? That's what he says. 
even at the very end of Revelation, like, I'm coming soon, okay? Here's a quote I found. Um, there's a great book called Advent <laughs> by Fleming Rutledge. And if you're interested in this subject, I highly recommend it because I've been reading through it, and I've been like, oh, wow, this is a lot more different than I thought it was in a very constructive and cool way. Um, and she's also just got a lot of sermons in there that, you know, she's preached over the years about this. But she has some comments about Advent in general, which are really help, helpful for me to get my mind around it. And <clears throat> one of them is she's talking about the future of God. It says this, the Christ event, meaning Jesus coming, being born at Christmas we're talking about, inaugurated the reign of God. But the consummation is yet to come in the time between the characteristic stance of the Christian, meaning you, and of the church, meaning us, is continual vigilance, or watch is what the Bible says, for the signs of the kingdom. God's future determines the present and not the other way around. I'll read this again. The characteristic stance of the Christian and of the church is continual vigilance, meaning being aware for the signs of the kingdom. God's future determines the present rather than the other way around. That's how we're to act. We live in a dark time, but we are the people that have hope in spite of that. And that's true the whole time from Jesus' ascension to Jesus' return. This block of time that we all find ourselves in, um, that's the stance, okay? And so far, it's been about 2,000 years. So now we come to the second scripture for today, and I'm going to um, read this again, too, <clears throat> just because some of this we may not be as familiar with. <clears throat> Excuse me. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this, par this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And this is some serious stuff, all right? So let me, uh, let's break this down a little bit. This passage is part of a longer passage where Jesus is describing the destruction of the temple and, the, and his second coming in the end of the age. And it's got a parallel, parallel meaning that, like, another version of it is in Mark chapter 13, which is very similar to this one, and Matthew 24, which is, there's some differences, so it's like they're recording the same event, but it's like they took different notes, okay? And it's really, if you're going to look into these, it's good to look at all of them because they're all a little different, but they're all talking about the same thing. And uh, he's answering questions, and <laughs> this is where it gets interesting because the questions in the different versions aren't exactly the same questions, but they ask, they're walking and looking at the temple, and they're like, this is beautiful, 
this is like the most beautiful thing ever. And Jesus is like, not even one stone is going to be left on top of another one. And they're like, wait a minute, when is this going to happen? You know, so they ask him in two of the, they're like, when will this happen? And what will be a sign of these things that take, will take place? And then in the Matthew version, they say, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So he's asked, there's a few questions floating around here. And then Jesus starts talking about, like, don't be deceived. There's going to be lots of wars, lots of destruction. People are going to hate you because of me. There's going to be all sorts of things you're going to have to go through. The Bible calls this tribulation and great suffering. So it's kind of really intense stuff. And so if you start to look into this, and I encourage you to do so, all three of those passages, Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, as we're talking about today, if you look pretty deep in, deeply into these, pack, uh, into these passages and start studying them and, and you know, listening to the many teachers and theologians that are out there, you'll come to this one very obvious conclusion. And that is that Christian people do not agree on what these passages are talking about. <clears throat> and I even heard one teacher make a joke that he was saying that however many, if you got a group of four people together to talk about these passages, you would have four different opinions. So it's really hard to get people to agree. There are camps of thought, you know, and, and you can also even just logically plot this stuff out and say you have to, you know, because the reason I think that's the case is because these are complex apocalyptic texts, and that's just what they are. And the only thing I would say is if you listen to somebody and they're teaching and they say that that's not the case, just be careful. That doesn't mean they're wrong, but I just say just be careful. Like, if they're like, this is so easy. It's like, well, then why does everybody disagree? You see what I'm saying? And so um, David Paulson, who's a Bible teacher I like a lot, he said that um, when he was talking about this, he said, we know enough about the future not to be afraid, but also not enough to go crazy about it. That would be the ideal. I think some people do go crazy about it. But um, I will say this. Most Christian people throughout history have agreed that these passages are some mixture of prophecies that Jesus is giving at that time. And from our point of view, some of these things have happened, and some are yet to come. And where you draw the line on which ones are which is where people start to disagree. And so we could talk about that for a long time, and maybe we will sometime. But I don't think that that's the most important thing we need to talk about today. I want to talk about something else. I will give you that there is a footnote here that I have, that there is this really minority view that some scholars have, is that this passage isn't even about Jesus' second coming at all. And they have their reasons they believe this. I don't personally think that's the best way to look at it. I'm telling you that as a pastoral person, I don't think that's the best way to look at it. But they're very smart people, and they have their reasons for thinking that. And when you read through them, you're like, some of these seem to make sense. The point is that making a really clear, super simple picture of how this can all be used, if you follow what I mean by that, is very difficult. But when you look at the questions they're asking and Jesus' response, you start to see what I think we need to be talking about today. And that is this, that our readiness or posture or stance is what's most important is what is more important than the timing itself because they ask him um and stance i'm using because that's what uh fleming rutledge said in that quote before the stance of the christian person right and of the church stance meaning how are we ready to go because jesus told us this two thousand years ago to people standing there and he gave them the right instructions for them two thousand years ago and there's still the right instructions for us now, 2,000 years later. So how does that all tie together? That's what I think is the most important thing for us right now. Because 
And I'll just skip right to this. That in, in Mark 13, when you look a little further down, he says this, but about the day and the hour, no one knows. Like He kind of goes like, okay, now about the timing, nobody knows when this is going to happen. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be, on, be alert. You do not know when that time will come, okay? And so this is what I think that we need to be looking at, our stance. So what is he really getting at in this kind of passage? Because it's, it's kind of intense sounding. See, Matthew continues on. He starts telling some parables about like 10 virgins that are waiting on a bridal party, which was a big deal in that culture, a big honor. Like you're part of the wedding. So it's like kind of like it's like being a bridesmaid now, but not getting your dress or something like that. Like people would be like, what is like what is wrong with you? You're not ready at all. You see what I'm saying? They had different things they did. So like you not being ready with your lamp was not OK. You should be ready. And they would, and you would know, like, it's not going to always, this might take a while. You have to be ready. Like, there's things that the families have to do. And whenever he comes, this is the time he's coming. And you need to be ready for it no matter when it is, you know. And in this story, like, ten of, uh, ten of them, five of them are ready and five of them aren't. That's kind of intense. And then there's other parables about, you know, the servant leaving and giving, you know. They're always about, like, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back and you better be ready. This is the most important thing. And he was telling people to be ready from the day he left until he comes back. And we're still in here somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but we're in here somewhere. He has not come back yet. He's going to return, and he's not come back yet. And so we're in a constant readiness state is where we should be. And that's, when they, that's where they should have been. But you have to start to think about this, and this is what I want you to think about. Because we've all, depending on how much you've dug in this area, there's a lot of views on all these different kinds of things about how you're supposed to be. And I've been praying a lot, and I think that this is the question that I want us to contemplate. Because there's reasons to believe these things um, about Jesus returning. Some of you need to really think about the fact, what if Jesus is returning in this generation right now? Okay? What would that change in your life? Like what, and you don't have to answer this right now. Maybe write this down. Like, if you've never thought about this, what if Jesus was returning in our time right now, in our generation, while you were still alive? And then, what would that change? And just look at what you write. And I don't even know exactly what that might be, okay? And then the second follow-up question, which I think you just make, maybe go on this column on another page, is what if... Jesus is telling us to be ready, but we're like the people that he told this to, and he's going to come a long time afterwards. Like, what if Jesus is coming back ten generations from now? And I want you to write down what that would change. I'm not going to say it may not change anything. I think the best thing would be it shouldn't change anything, okay? But I would argue probably most of us it would change some things. So I think that trying to get that list or those two lists to where it doesn't change anything, that's the whole point of, I think, what Jesus is getting at with all of what he's sharing right now, that he is going to return. And you aren't going to know when that is, so be ready for it. He does say, though, that there's going to be signs, like the tree. Like you can see a tree, is, the seasons are changing, so you can know. And like he says, there'll be signs in the heavens. And just like when Jesus was born, there was a sign in the heavens. There was a star. The, the, and the weirdest part about this to me, it's always been so strange to me that these 
wise men, we call them, they're astrologers from another culture. They're like, yeah, the star told us to come because the king is. But like, that's a sign in the heavens. And they understood it. That's strange. There was also a sign in the heavens when Jesus was crucified. It says like, like it's like the middle of the day and it goes dark for a while. That's not like a solar eclipse. It says how long, I think. It was like a really long time. So like God's, this, this is not off the table for God to give signs in the heavens, okay? So there will be these signs in the heavens. And then we'll see the Son of Man coming. And the, one of the descriptions is like lightning going from the east to the west. Like you're not gonna, so the main point is you're not going to miss it. You know? And it also says in this, like, it's coming to everyone. But some people, it's going to be really great news, and other people, it's not. So all of this probably sounds really scary, and it's because it is. It's scary without God, and that's the whole point of this whole Advent season. Without God, we're done. And without Jesus, we don't have any hope at all. But with Jesus, this coming becomes a very good thing. I got another Fleming Rutledge quote here. It's about salvation of Jesus and what that kind of means to us here. John 3.16 is what she's talking about. The very familiar John 3.16 verse is constantly quoted apart from its context, which is misleading. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now listen to this. That was just the the verse. So hear what she's saying. The reference to condemnation is significant. The Son comes to judge the world, but not to condemn it. The implication is clear. The world deserves condemnation, but instead it will be saved through the Son. Therefore, it is not accurate to say God so loved the world without a reference to the full context of all its implications. And hear this, finding the balance between uncritical love of the world, meaning everything's great, and the fierce love of God that comes to purge and cleanse is part of the Christian vocation. This meaning that God loves the world, and it even talks about God's delay in coming is for the sake of those to be saved. It's like for our own good. Like it's good he didn't come 2,000 years ago. It's good he's not come yet. It's for our good. But God doesn't look down and see everything and say every single thing that's going on is good. And it's easy for us to know that. When we talk about, I was uh, talking a couple weeks ago about G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. He was talking about that for him as kind of an intellectual or whatever, it's really funny that people were debating the idea of sin or original sin. He's like, that's like the only one we can prove, like it's really easy to go, like, look how horrible people are. And it's not just like how horrible people, it's just look at the things people are doing. And that's why Jesus gives these kind of warnings. Like, people are going to be fighting from this point to this point, And it's going to tick up at the end, but it's going to be going on the whole time. And if you read in that scripture about the kingdom being near, that's true if it's A.D. 530, 1950, or now. It doesn't become true only at the end, okay? Whenever we're in this hopeless-looking situation, it's a sign that the kingdom is near. And again, there will be an ultimate version of this, but it's true the whole time. And our position and our stance is the same the whole time. It doesn't just change all of a sudden at the end. And I think we've gotten a little too into that um, in a way that I think is probably unhealthy. So what do we need to be doing? 
Well, the main point is that our hope is found in Jesus. His coming back is going to end all evil, and we can live with this hope now, even when bad things are happening around us. Okay? Because of his first coming, we can put our hope in the future coming of Jesus, and that's how he's going to make the wrong things right. Remember, she said the future determines the present, not the other way around. It's always so often we're tempted to go the other way, other way around. Did he really say, you know? And so one of the first things we need to be doing is watching, okay? And I, the kids, I want you to think about this because this all sounds very scary, and it is, in a way, very scary if people are without the hope that Jesus brings, okay? But some of you had grandparents or somebody visiting, or maybe you were visiting them, or you've had people come to your house, okay, that you're excited about. That's more what this is like for us. If you know Jesus, and Jesus is your, if, if he's your Savior, you're look, this is good because he's ending all the bad things in the world. And it's way better than the best person coming to visit your house. But when, I don't know about you guys, but when my kids are waiting for, like, their cousins to visit, they're, like, outside. And I'm like, I know where they are. <laughs> They're, gonna, they're not going to be here for an hour. Like, well, we're going to go wait outside. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's raining, but whatever. You know. But there's so much excitement there, and that's kind of the attitude that we're supposed to have. And you'll find a, the reference that Mark 13.35, you can look that up. And again, read these, these passages. This is in your Bible. You need to be familiar with this stuff. Another thing we need to be doing is telling the good news of Jesus, and this is Matthew 24.14. When he's talking about that one's like it's a little longer than these other ones. He goes into like, well, what do we need to be doing? And he's like, tell everybody the truth about who Jesus is. This is not like our secret weird little club. It's true for everyone. It's just some people are going to find out at the wrong moment. They need to find out now because it's true. And it's good news that this evil stuff doesn't win. They don't win. And we already know that. A lot of pe- most people don't know that. They are hopeless. The third thing is that we need to be standing up and lifting up our heads. Luke 21, 28. He's saying, like, be ready. It's a, it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's going to be rough. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. You could, and we might talk about this in the upcoming weeks. The last days have at least started since Acts 2, when Peter says, quotes Joel, in the last days. And he's like, this, this is that. So that was the start of the last days. That was the start of the Advent season, you see? And it would probably be fair to say, though I understand implications, that that was the start of the tribulation, you know? And tribulation has been going on the whole time. Again, there's a great tribulation towards the end. But the point is, this thing has been started, and it's been the same ever since then. And we need to be watching with excitement. We, I don't know about your family, but we watched a lot of Family Feud uh, visiting some of our relatives this week. And there was a period of time where the people win, and they're, like, super happy about it. But they don't have any of the money yet. I promise you there's, like, another meeting later where they give them a check for that money, probably deduct weird taxes and fees from it, but whatever. The point, Don't let that tarnish the metaphor I'm making here. Jesus has no taxes and fees on the kingdom. <laughs> Should have thought that through before I said any of that. Either way, the point is their excitement in that moment is real because at that point, it's like the future jumping into the now like us. They don't have the money yet, but they're, it's due. It's promised. That's like how we are with the kingdom in spite of all the stuff that's going on around us. Justin, why don't you come up? Play, play.
play in D because we're going to sing that Prepare the Way song again. But I want to talk about a posture that I want us to have because a lot of this kind of stuff makes people want to close down, sh- you know, get safe, get, you know, and there are parts of this that, like, when bad things start happening, and they do, they have, we've, we just read a book last year in our book club about, you know, their whole fleeing from the war in the Congo. It's like verbatim this kind of stuff. Like, you need to leave now. Like, don't even go back and get anything because you'll die. Like, it's smart to, to flee when those kind of things are happening. And that's difficult stuff. That's hard to live through. And even in those really dark low points, we can still be hopeful because we know the end of the story. Also, everything else is less severe, okay? But I want to talk about our response to this serpent um, statement because uh, as people who know this story and can look towards Jesus coming, we're called to be people of hope no matter what is going on. And it made me think of this phrase, which is going to sound strange, but I want us to be people of aggressive hope. Aggressive might sound like, whoa, that's like a mean word, but I just mean it. If you look it up, the B definition is forceful. This is what I'm talking about. A forceful hope. Then when they say, like, did he really say, we don't go, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I, don't, I think so. It's like, no, it's like, when, did he really say? It's like, yeah, he said that. And that's what's going to happen. I don't have to listen to this. And it made me think of, we have several dogs. One of our dogs, Callie, was labeled. <laughs> she, uh, this is the photo Anna took. This uh, describes her personality. Well, Marlena Francis termed her an aggressive snuggler. And so I think that we need to be aggressive in our hope that uh, we're not on the defensive here. And things are going to be rough. And even this, like, almost immediately, people thought, and you can look in, the, in Paul's letters, you can look in, this stuff is there. They were like, why is it taking Jesus so long to come back? And I'm talking about, like, he said this here, and they're right here. We're way over here in the timeline, and they're right here. Jesus said it there. They're here. They're like, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? That's already in the air almost immediately. Why is this not happening? And you can see the early church guys are starting to deal with that. And they and Peter writes this. You can look at 2 Peter 3, 3 through 18. This is kind of long, but I'm going to close by reading this, and then we're going to sing this Prepare the Way song again. So, if, band, if you guys want to come up, because preparing the way is going to be kind of our overall theme for this Advent season. Because if you do have a guest coming to your house... You clean it up. I mean, like, that's the whole kind of point. We need to be ready. Like, Jesus is going to come stay at your house anytime. What are you going to change? Well, change it. Okay? That's the takeaway. Don't wait. What are you waiting on? But they're saying, why is he not coming? Why is it taking so long? This is Peter responding. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised. You can see the double quotations there. Where is this coming, he promised. Did he really say? Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on just since it did at the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of the water 
and by or formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare, since everything will be destroyed by in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And that's a good question. You ought to live a holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard, so that you may not be carried away by the errors of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forevermore. There's one other point I needed to make, is that no one's going to get away with anything. This is, I think, the most important. Now that sounds, if you're doing a lot of bad stuff, or you don't know who Jesus is, you're not taking the blood that Jesus offers, like the Passover story, and applying that to your life, you're going to try to do it on your own? That's a bad news, because you're not going to get away with anything. But if you've been hurt by people, if like I asked at the beginning, you've had promises broken, or you've put hopes in things that have failed, you've been wounded, no one's going to get away with anything. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the type of hope that you offer to us. It's not a thin, weak hope, but a real hope, a deep hope, an everlasting hope. You say at the end that these things remain faith, hope, and love. And, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to what a life built around that looks like. And help us to live as people that are ready for your coming at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song together one more time. And then if you need to come pray at the altar, feel free because it's open.